Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Times I wouldn't change them if I could for through. So 
Such a wonderful day to be here in the house of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so very much, Matthew and Hannah, for serving the Lord this morning here at Rocky Valley Baptist Church while our music minister travels, uh, Brother Jason, um, is on his way back from North Carolina. Uh, so we pray safe travels for him. Um, but if you guys are willing to come and fill in, we'll just let him take his time getting back. So, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And we'll be beginning in verse 16 this morning with the, with the topic of this. Jesus is the answer to the question. Jesus is the answer to the question. Now this morning as we dive in, I'm going to make a confession to all of you that this week... I spent more time listening to and looking at uh, noise on social media and on other avenues than I normally do. Uh, I did this because everywhere I looked at it, it tended to remind me and flood me back to the text that I was studying for, uh, for us to, to go through this morning in Acts chapter 17. Uh, and because, I think you're going to, to see why in just a moment. But as I began to look at all of the noise in our society and all the noise in our culture today, uh, I began to notice something that I believe some of you, that, that perhaps some of you have noticed, and that is this. We live in a society, in a culture, and in a day full of more extremely intelligent people that are as lost as last year's Easter egg than any time present. And if you don't agree with me, you're lost as last year's Easter egg as well. Everywhere you turn, there is a very well articulated and educated expression of some of the dumbest stuff on the planet. Everybody has uh, some theological theory, uh, some explanation of their view of who God is and, uh, and why the God of the Bible must not be what he says he is and why he must be non-existent, why his church is so hypocritical and they have some uh, very well-written statement that quite frankly is just a bunch of baloney. Then yesterday, to cap it all off, and I had no idea this was coming, I'm not as plugged into these things as you may think I am, but I found out that this weekend in Nashville, Tennessee is, is Pride Weekend. For the lesbian, gay, transgender community, this is their weekend to be proud in Nashville. Our Capitol building was painted in the color of a rainbow last night with lights in celebration of this experience. And as I saw all of these things and I thought about the text that we had been in uh, all week in my time of study and prayer, I began to realize something. That the text, the time that Paul was living and the text that we're going through today, the city of Athens is not that much different than America is today. It's not that much different than our world is today. And so let me tell you what I mean by, by building a little context before we get into verse 16. Paul and Silas had set out on what is known as the second missionary journey of Paul. Now, they've already been through Galatia. They've already planted a church there. They've already been through Philippi and planted a church there. They were in Thessalonica. They planted a church there and Paul got ran out 
because he was planting churches there. Paul makes his way to Berea. He stopped. He planted a church in Berea. But here we find that Paul has had to flee for his life to kind of get out of the persecution because everywhere he went, they had persecution and it had just abounded over and over again. And so Paul has had to leave Luke in Philippi. He's left Silas and Timothy in Berea to watch after the churches that he set up. And he's made his way to Athens. Now the idea... For Paul in Athens is to sit and wait on his friends and co-laborers to get there before they take on this mighty country, this mighty city, this mighty theological center of the universe that was called Athens. And so we have the greatest missionary of all times in the greatest city of that time. And he's all alone facing this giant, it seems. And so what does that have to do with America, Brother Jason? Well... I would say that we are what would be considered from an influence and a culture standpoint the greatest country in the world. Most other countries look to what America is doing to kind of get their cues. If you'll look throughout most of the other countries, things start here and filter there for the most part. And so we find ourselves very similar to Athens in that way. We also find ourselves very similar to Athens in some other ways that we're going to see as we go along. But I wanted you to know what had happened to Paul that got him to this place in verse 16 where we're going to pick up. And if you're able, I want to ask you to stand this morning in honor and reverence of the reading of the Holy Text. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then a certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. But Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And also some of your own poets have said, For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let us pray. God our Father. 
We pray that you would do what only you can do this morning. And that is open our hearts and our minds to your word. God, we pray that any devil and any demon that may hinder us from worshiping you would be escorted right out the door that it came in at this moment. That God, nothing would stop us from giving you the worship that you deserve. Because you alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy to be glorified. And God, we pray that you would run wild in this place and change your people this morning. For it's in your precious saving name that we pray, as all God's children said. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our first point this morning is this. The stage that was set. The stage that was set. Now, we've already gotten to the point that we said Paul is in this great city of influence. This city known for its philosophers and its great theory and its great knowledge. It was a smart place, essentially. This is where you would go to get your computer worked on, okay? This is the people that came up with the new operating systems, and did, these were intelligent people by the world's standards. And so what exactly in this city of philosophers does Paul experience? First, let's look at really what got Paul going, and then we'll kind of work backwards and look at some things about Paul's life. Verse 23 shows us that Paul noticed something when he was going around in Athens. He said they had a, a, a description on one of their altars to the unknown God. And, and Paul saw that. Now, I can just imagine, oh, Paul, all right? Now, this is Paul, who, who had already been on one missionary journey, had got back to the home church, so to speak, and they said, hey, we think you should go do this again. And he said, you know what? I think you're right. I haven't planted nearly enough churches yet. Let's go on another missionary journey. Let's see if I can get stoned this time while I go about it. Paul was not a man who was shy in his faith. He was not a man who, who walked around hiding what he thought. And so I can only imagine that as Paul strolls through the streets of Athens... And he sees everything that they're worshiping in this area. And he gets to this inscription. And it says, to the unknown God. I believe Paul probably looked at it and he had this face right here. Right? Are you kidding me? To the unknown God. What is wrong with these people? They got all these little, they got microphones they're worshiping. They got statues they're worshiping. And here, they've inscribed this to the unknown God. And I believe Paul's mind was blown. And so here you have the greatest missionary of all time coming face to face with the root of the problem in Athens. Now, I believe that Paul had already witnessed a lot of problems as he walked through the streets, but suddenly he looks and he says, I see where the real problem is. The real problem is not the things that these people are doing. It's the God that they're not worshiping. Let me say that again. The real problem was not the things that these people were doing. It was the God that they were not worshiping. They did not have a real view of God. They were blindly worshiping anything and never acknowledging what God is. This suggests this. They were accepting of many ideas of who God may be, but didn't want to be closed-minded to choose one. Let me say that again. They were... Open-minded to any view of God. Whatever you want to believe, hey, go for it. Does that sound vaguely familiar, church? And so now that we see the the real problem, let's let's look at a couple things about Paul. Because if we're going to be influenced in the culture around us the way Paul did, I think we're going to have to live our lives a little bit in the view of what Paul did. Look at verse 16. It says, Paul waited for them. He's talking about his co-laborers. In Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him. Now, I'm not extremely intelligent, 
But I'm smart enough to know that if his spirit was provoked, that means that Paul had to be living a life that was sensitive to the spirit to be provoked by it. Right? He had to be living a life while he was sitting in Athens. Now, it doesn't say exactly in that first part of verse 16 what Paul was doing, why he waited for them in Athens, but I believe it's obvious by the fact that he was still communicating and hearing from the Holy Spirit and here still sensitive from what the Spirit would have him to do that Paul was spending his time in worship of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't sitting there quietly hiding under a, a, a stool somewhere, hiding in a, in a, in a cabin somewhere. Paul was, was praying to his holy God. He was seeking the face of God. He was listening to God. He was still uh, sitting there and, and praising and worshiping God. And now he had every right to land in Athens and sulk and whine and cry and sit down and hide and say, Listen, everywhere I go, man, somebody's against me. Every time I do anything, somebody stands against it. I'm just going to sit right here. I'm going to wait on Luke and Silas to get here. And when they get here, we're going to go on about our business. But Paul, Paul wasn't really wired that way, was he? Ever since the day that Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus, he said, I ain't the same. I ain't going to live like that no more. I'm going to go wherever God calls me, whenever he calls me. And when I get there, I'm going to listen to what he tells me to do. And so he's praying and he's seeking God. And he gets moved by the Spirit that things are not right in this place where he's at. He's provoked by the Spirit that in this location where he finds himself, things simply are not right. This country, it's given to a worship of idols. And look what he did next, church. This is going to blow your mind. This is, this is crazy stuff. He did not send a delegation to Jerusalem with a petition to get things changed in Athens. He didn't tweet out a selfie with a sad face emoji on his snapogram. He didn't wait for anyone else to give him permission to do anything. He didn't seek uh, government influence on what he ought to be doing. Paul went to the church and went to the marketplace every single day. To preach. Paul said, man, this place is messed up. I know what to do. I'm going to stand up and preach Jesus. I'm going to go everywhere there is anybody. That's what, you want to know what that means? The synagogue with the Jews, with the Gentile worshipers in the marketplace. That means he went to places where people were. That's where people would have been. He did everything short of find him a tree stump and stand up. I believe he carried his stump with him. And he set it up in the marketplace and he stood up and he said, People of Athens, I've got a word for you. I need you to hear what I've got to say because all this stuff I'm seeing is hogwash. All this stuff you're doing is crazy. Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, the King James says that he reasoned. Says that he reasoned, but that word actually means to discuss or preach. Now, I believe Paul probably didn't see everything going on and sat down on the side of his stump and got real quiet and said, uh, Listen, guys, I'm not sure what you're doing's right. Maybe we could talk about it. No, no, I, I believe that Paul, everything about him tells me that he stood up with Holy Spirit filled unction and he preached Jesus to these people. He said, I don't need anybody else to tell me the plan. I already know the plan. When things look like this, the only thing you can do is stand up loud and proud and preach Jesus. And that's what Paul did. And guess what happened when Paul preached Jesus? People noticed. People began to take notice. In fact, 
they noticed so much what Paul was doing. They said, hey, let's get this guy out of the marketplace. He's, he's, he's too bright to be preaching in the marketplace. I want to take him to the Areopagus. Now, what is the Areopagus? It is the who's who in Athens at this point. It is kind of the who's who in Athens at this point. And these people who were considered the, the council of the Areopagus at this time loved more than anything to hear some new idea. They wanted to talk about something more than they wanted to do anything. And so they had, listen, this town was so smart that they had their own court of people to decipher all the intelligence. And that's what the Areopagus was. They had people here to decipher all the thinking that was going on. Now, if that don't remind you of America, then I don't know what will. We are filled up to our ears with generations of folks who want to hear every idea and every theology out there, but are so worried that it may offend somebody to tell them anything is true that we say, well, just whatever you want to believe. What? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Listen, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe what I believe. But, you know, hey, I, I see where you're coming from. There are entire religions built today on the principle that you can believe whatever you want to and do whatever you want to for the most part because God wants you to be happy. People are paying money in an astounding amount to join the Church of Scientology, whose main theology is God is who you want him to be. People are paying money, hand over fist, to become a part of this. But why? Because it makes them feel good about themselves to not have to look to the God of the Bible and see that we have something that we have to answer to, that we have a standard by which we must live our lives. But we, we, who have all decided to get up on this fine Sunday morning and come to the house of the Lord and worship His holy name, that call ourselves by the name of the church, the bride of Christ, the one who was sent here to show His glory on this earth, what is our main thing that we do when we look around the world and we see that it's falling apart around us? Our favorite thing to do is do what? Put our arms around each other huddle up real quiet, and talk about how bad they are. Let me say that again. Our favorite thing to do is put our arms around each other, usually after church, might I add. Look to ourselves and talk about how bad they are. What did Paul do? He didn't huddle up. He didn't wait. He got up and he went and told somebody the truth, didn't he? He said, you know what? God didn't save me to shut up. God saved me to speak up. God didn't save me to sit down. God saved me to stand up and share his gospel. And Paul said, you know who I'm going to share it with? Anybody to listen? And some people that don't want to. I'm just going to preach Jesus everywhere I go. So, so Paul responds by standing up and preaching. So what? Well, well, Brother Jason, that's good. That's Paul. I mean, you just said he's the greatest missionary of all time, perhaps the second greatest preacher of all time short of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's Paul. 
That's not me, Brother Jason. I wasn't called to be a preacher. I wasn't set apart to do that. That's something like you would do. You think I don't get petrified to stand up and tell somebody about Jesus. you got another thing coming. But guess what? We're fixing to see that what Paul told them wasn't some great theology. It wasn't some depth of the Greek transcript. He didn't break down Hebrew translations. He got up and he preached something simple. Look at the first thing he does when he starts to, when he gets his chance. Our second point this morning is he, he shouted about a sovereign God. There's a sovereign about whom he shouted. Paul does, does all this preaching and he gets to the highest council in the land. Now this is his chance to speak to the Supreme Court, you might say. The people that are the be-all, end-all, the decision makers about what he's saying. And Paul gets an open floor in front of the Areopagus. Now I want you to think about this. These are the smartest people in the world by, by all standards. And Paul's no dummy. He knows this. He knows that he's fixing to stand before what is perhaps the most intelligent thinkers in the entire universe. And Paul, instead of getting complicated with his message, gets real simple, doesn't he? He gets real simple. He starts out preaching the gospel. He starts with God. He says, you got this sign. I saw it. You guys know the sign I'm talking about. It says, to the unknown God. Well, look, you worship God without knowing who he is. I'm going to preach him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach him. That's, he says that again. I'm going to proclaim to you. That's preach. Paul says, I'm going to preach this God that you don't know. I, I let, and let me tell you about this God that you don't know. I'm going to preach him for a few minutes. God's the creator of all things. He made you. Uh, he, he made this earth you're standing on. He, he made everything. This, this God, he was the beginning of it all. In fact... You know, you get your name after that landmark over on the western shore. That western shore landmark, it was created by God too. And so here we gather, and, and what you don't realize is not only was he the creator of everything, but guess what? He's, he's also the Lord of everything. That means he's the master of it all. He's the chief over all of it. He breathed it all into existence. He thought it all into existence. He created it all. He's the Lord of it. But guess what? He's also the Lord of heaven. He's the chief and he's the master of that. Uh, and not just the heavens that you think about, but he's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of, of the one heaven. And, and this God who created everything and is the Lord of everything on this earth and the Lord of everything in heaven, you're not going to find him in one of them idols that you've made with your hands. You're not going to find him in one of these fancy altars that you have built. You're not going to find him in that temple you built even. That's, that's not where you house God. God can't be housed because he made it all. He's not, he's not made to be housed. You can't add anything to him with the things that you build. You, you can't build an altar fancy enough to make him better. He's already supreme. He didn't need anything to be added to him. In fact, this God who thought it all into existence and created everything and is the Lord of everything is so sovereign and he's so amazing that from one man, Adam, he has brought every nation and every tribe, every color, every race, every sex, every creed, every tongue has come from that one bloodline. Now ain't that something? Y'all ever thought about that? Boy, if we could just grab that, all that racism junk would just go right out the window, wouldn't it? Did you know at the end of the day, it don't matter whether you're red, yellow, black, or white. I know that's a children's song, right? Jesus loves the little children of the world. You know why he loves the little children of the world, red, yellow, black, white? Because we all got the same ancestor. In my copy of God's Word, it says we all descend from Adam. It don't matter what color you are. 
You're my brother. And if you're my brother, I ought to love you enough to tell you about Jesus and not spread hate. My goodness, if we could just get the simple things, how much better would this country be? I didn't mean to get there. Sorry. Not real sorry, but a little sorry. But we're created by him. We're created through him. And and, and people of the area, Pagas, let me tell you this too. Not only are we created by him, we're created through him, and we long to be with him. Now think about that with me. We long to be with him. We're going to grope for him. We're going to seek for him because he is our maker. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our heavenly father. And you all, whether you want to or not, whether you believe it or not, have an itch that can't be scratched by nothing but God. You have a longing to be with God. You will have a desire to have a relationship. Now just imagine, friends, if we stood up proudly and said those words today. If we went to someone and said, you are made by a sovereign God that created you and everything else perfectly, you, my friend, are perfectly just exactly the way you're made. And that empty feeling that you have, it's not because you came out a different sex than what you felt like you wanted to be. You don't need to change that. It's not going to make you feel full. It's not because you need to go fill it with some carnal passion of of this world. It's not uh, because you need to to fill your body with some substance that that you think you crave to fill some hole that you have. It's not going to be filled with some new theory or some new thought or some new mindset. You don't need to have a, a shift into some new worldly thought process to make you fill that hole that you have in your life. Paul said that hole that you have will only be filled by a relationship with your creator. The God that created everything, you desire to be right with him. That brings us to our last point this morning as we wrap up. Paul said there's a savior who is the standard. Paul says you got a desire to be close to God. To be his sons and daughters even, his offspring, Paul says. But before Paul tells them the good news of Jesus, he goes ahead and finishes the bad news of where they are now. Now we tend to skip that too often in today's happy ABC salvation song culture of the church. Right? We've decided to skip over that part where we tell people that they're sinners and get right to that point where we tell them they have a Savior. And the problem is, if you embrace a Savior before you realize you're a sinner, you don't know what you got saved from. Let me put it to you like this. If we went to the swimming pool this afternoon, and while we were standing at the gate outside of it, I grabbed you and said, come in here in the garage with me. You wouldn't be nearly as thankful to me as if you were drowning in the pool and I reached down and picked you up and took you to the garage, would you? fact of the matter is I may have done the same thing by taking you to the garage, but until you knew what you were being saved from, you wouldn't have much thankfulness for me. Same thing, we tell people about Jesus, we don't tell them about their sin. They don't know what they're being saved from. And if you don't know that you're a dying man, how do you know what it is to have life? So let me tell you what Paul did. Paul did what we ought to still be doing. He said, listen, in the old days they thought that God was stone." That he could be crafted to bring you to him. They thought that to be reconciled to God, they needed to make an altar. They needed to do something. They needed to uh, smoke enough incense and kill enough goats and do all these things. And they could be made right with God. But the only way to be reconciled to him has been provided for us. In verse 31, Paul gives them that answer, doesn't he? 
He says, listen, the whole world's going to be judged by one cornerstone. We'll all be judged by his righteousness, and that's Jesus, of course. The one whom God raised from the dead. We're going to be measured by his righteousness. Paul says to them quite simply, God is going to judge everybody in that day. And your righteousness will be counted not by what you did, not by who you talked to or what theory you understood. Your righteousness is going to be counted by whether or not you know Jesus Christ. Because God, when he judges you, he's not going to look at your deeds. He's going to look at one thing. Do I see Jesus or do I see that person? If he sees Jesus, he'll see the blessed perfect lamb. If he sees you, no matter what good things you've done on this earth, he's going to see filthy. And he's not going to know you. So what was the answer for the church in Athens? Jesus. Paul got to the highest council in the land. He got to the place he needed to get to to influence the most people. And he preached a simple gospel message. Jesus. So what's the answer in America? Jesus. What's the answer in Wilson County? Still Jesus. What's the answer in Rocky Valley? Y'all catch on quick. What's the answer in your household? Jesus. We don't need some newfound brilliance. I don't need to get up here with a 12-point theological presentation. I don't need to stand on my head in the parking lot to try and draw a crowd. If they came because I stood on my head, they'd quit coming when I stopped. But if they come because of Jesus, they've got something. So what do we need to do? Preach Jesus. The problems in our country didn't start with any government administration. It wasn't a Democrat. It wasn't a Republican. It wasn't a liberal. It wasn't a conservative. It wasn't any of that. And you know what? They're not going to stop with any governmental administration. Donald Trump ran on a Make America Great Again campaign. And I thought, man, he missed the mark. If we really want to see it turn around, we'll make America gods again. It starts right here. It doesn't start up there. This nation will be healed when the people of God get off their sanctified hind ends and preach Jesus everywhere they go. Well, what if people don't listen to me, Brother Jason? That's okay. They're not always going to. I mean, look at, well, Paul's the greatest missionary of all time. I've said it at least half a dozen times this morning. Greatest missionary of all times. He's bound to have done good at presenting the gospel of Jesus. And look what happened when Paul preached. Some people made fun of him. Verse 32. Some people made fun of him. Some people said, we need to hear from you again on this matter. We need to stew on this for a little while. But man, there was a couple that believed, wasn't there? I don't know about you guys. I believe it's worth a little scoffing and worth a little preaching 
and worth a little shame, even for a few people to believe. I promise you this, church. If it'll get Bibles in Honduras and two little girls saved, I'll take slime and whipped cream every Friday of this month. I'll take it every Tuesday next month. I don't care. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, check Facebook. So we got a couple of options today. We can look around and do nothing. We know how to do that one, don't we? Well, we can be so moved by the Spirit that we say, I'm going to preach Jesus everywhere I go and the way I live my life and the words that I use and the things that I say. Because one thing's for sure, unbelief is the problem. And Jesus is the answer. So how do we respond to this this morning? Some of you came in here, quite frankly, you just need a little motivation to be a little more bold about sharing Jesus everywhere you go in your life. And I pray that you got that this morning from the Holy Spirit. But there were some of you that came in here this morning and you feel more like Paul did at the beginning of the story. And here's what I mean by that. You feel just a little bit minuscule and you're feeling a little bit lonely and you're feeling a whole lot of misery looking at the giants in your life like Paul was looking at. But you know that many scholars believe that Paul penned his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 based on his experience early on in Athens when he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about that. Look at what happened with Paul. He got to Athens. He looked at the giant. He saw all these things going on. He'd been persecuted. He'd been abandoned. He was lonely. He was friendless. And yet in his weakness, what did God do? He made him strong. So my friends, if you came in here this morning in that same thought, looking at the giants in your life, looking at all the things going on in your life, saying, I can't preach Jesus. I don't even feel like preaching to myself. How am I going to preach to anybody else? My friend, find your way to the altar of God because in your weakness, that is where you'll find your strength. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning. So thankful for mighty men like Paul who would go before us and preach your word, Lord. Preach your gospel simply and completely to a world that didn't want to hear the truth. God, we thank you for that because we can look to our lives, look to our country, look to our situation and recognize that our job is not to warm pews and sit quietly in this country, but it is to proclaim your gospel to a lost and dying world. God, we know that there will be those who scoff, those who reject but praise God, your gospel message still saves souls today. And there will be those that believe, Lord. God, give us the courage and the conviction to do that. God, for the one who came in here this morning, who says, I feel lost and alone facing the giants in my life. God, would you give them the courage to come to your altar and say, God, perfect me in my weakness. God, use my weakness for your glory.
I can't do this, but I know you can. And God, if there's someone here this morning who's never accepted you as their Savior, who's never felt the, the embrace of your love, who's never cried out, God, please save me. God, would you do what only you can do? And that is convict them and move them to a place of repentance. For it is in your precious saving name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.